Well, Happy New Year and welcome to Off the Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name is DJ Seals. I'm a former detective, crime analyst, and SWAT operator from the metro Atlanta area. Now, I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but I assure you this podcast will never be about product or sales. I promise you that. I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation about current police issues without you, my listener, well, feeling like we're in the sales pitch. We get enough of those anyway, don't we? I wouldn't listen to that, and I'm quite sure you wouldn't either. So let's take a look at today's topic. I have my first interview. You know, as I've said the whole first year we did this, um, I, I wanted this to be conversational. I wanted this to be um, controlled, not one-sided, but I wanted to make sure that we got our point of view across and listen to other points of view as well. And, and I was introduced um, to uh, Chief uh, John Brueger, and he's chief of Pasadena, Texas. And I read a, a good bit about what he's doing out there. And it really struck a chord with me. Um, you know, what we're going to be talking about today, bond and bail. Um, if, if you've worn a badge for more than a month, maybe even a week, depending on where you are, we've seen people that we've put in jail. And before we even get the report done, they're out on a recognizance. They're out on something else. And, and you know, sometimes, okay, you, you got a dime bag uh, on the guy. I get it. But we've put people in jail that have done violent crimes that, that have gotten out on this. And, and I read a good bit uh, from the chief. And uh, he, he and I seem quite aligned with, with what's going on here. And he's got a, uh, a particular story and a project he's working on. And I wanted to have him come on. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he was appointed the uh, police chief in 2019 of Pasadena, Texas. He's been uh, in, in multiple positions, uh, detectives division where he supervised crimes against persons and property squads and domestic violence. Uh, he graduated from Sam Houston uh, University. And more importantly to me, chief, He's the 240th session of the FBI National Academy. So I'm glad to have you on, Chief. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, Chief, you and I had a little conversation um, a week or so ago, setting this up and just, just kind of breaking bread with each other. And you had uh, told me a story that kind of got this going with you. Um, you know, I, I think I told you back uh, when we were talking, uh, I've said this on the podcast before, that I, I, I have this thing called my injustice bone where I just can't stand seeing somebody done wrong. And, and uh, I could feel that in you as well. Why don't you give us a background on what happened out there that, that got you fired up about this topic? So really there were two big events that, that happened. And the first one I had been the chief probably a week, two weeks. Um, and I had cops that were at my door upset and, um, when I asked him what was wrong, what I found was we had a, a individual who committed uh, two armed robberies here uh, in Pasadena, and he had worn a mask, and they were of, of uh, pharmacies, and so he got away after the first two, and they were about 20 minutes apart on the same day, and one of them he actually shot at a witness and his child who were attempting to follow him. And so uh, fast forward about uh, 10, 11 days later, uh, the same person uh, committed two armed robberies here back to back. Um, and when he was fleeing the second one, um, we caught him. He had gun in one hand, money in the other. 
um, was running from the scene. One of our officers actually struck him with a vehicle on purpose um, when he turned with a gun toward the officer. And so he was arrested, charged with uh, four counts of aggravated robbery, which here in the state of Texas is a first degree felony. Um, you can get up to 99 years in prison on uh, each of those four charges. And then he's also charged with aggravated assault on a police officer, which also is a first degree felony. So you have an individual who's arrested with pretty serious offenses. And um, the next day he was released on five PR bonds. And so mm. needless to say, my cops were, were upset, um, which upset me because here you have, you know, men and women out there risking their lives every day. And, um, you know, this dangerous person's put back out there on the street. And, you know, I always tell people I'm charged with, you know, protecting the citizens here. And so to me, it was a public safety issue as well. And so being a new chief, I knew I had to stand up for, you know, the men and women that put the uniform on every day. And, and so I spoke out and, um, you know, I really, I didn't know a whole lot about, you know, bail bonds and bail. I, I knew what it was, but, um, you know, and unfortunately, I guess I was ignorant to the fact of all the change that was, you know, really happening behind the scenes. And so that was my first introduction mm -hmm. um, to it. And, you know, I, I spoke out, um, went to social media and um, got a lot of traction, uh, more than I, I really thought. And really, I'll tell you, the, the reason I originally did it was to support the, you know, the men and women here. And um, fast forward uh, about six months later in the summer, and it was a Saturday evening. I remember where I was at. I was going out to dinner with my wife, and I got a call from a violent crime sergeant. And he said, Chief, are you sitting down? And I said, that's never good. I said, what's up? He said, you know, we had a homicide this afternoon. I said, I, I do know that. And he said, well, there's more to, more to it that you need to know. And I said, okay, what is it? And he told me that uh, we had an individual that um, we had investigated domestic violence case earlier that week on him and arrested him for assaulting his pregnant wife. Um, and turns out he had already gotten two PR bonds for a, a driving while intoxicated, his second offense. Found to stop at the scene of an accident about six months or uh, excuse me, six weeks prior. And so here he is out on those two PR bonds already. We arrest him for uh, assault family member. Um, he also had killed the, the family cat. Um, and, and so we arrested him. Um, he actually got another PR bond and um, got out of jail. So here he is out on three PR bonds. Um, he goes back over to the apartment and um, brutally stabs his pregnant wife and kills her and, and their unborn child. Um, and then calls 911 and, and says he killed her. And so, you know, that that was it, it was tragic, you know, and I, I felt like that was one of those things that uh, to a large extent could have been prevented. Sure. Um, you know, I'm not saying, it, you know, he might not have still done it, but I, I do think that the system failed um, Caitlin Guajardo, which is the victim in that case. And that really was the catalyst for, you know, me getting involved, more involved in speaking out and um, trying to make some changes so this doesn't happen again. Now, I understand that there's there's a push for uh, a specific law to prevent or change uh, the background from this happening again called Caitlin's Law. Is that right? That's correct. What What, what does Caitlin's Law say if it were to be passed? Uh, essentially it's the, the repeated PR bonds, um, mm -hmm. is, is the start right now. Um, you know, right now we've got some actually bipartisan support on some of this because, you know, I, I obviously, you know, as a police chief, I'm out in the community quite a bit and, and do a lot of speaking and, you know, I, I, we have a very diverse community here and, you know, I hear folks from, you know, all walks, rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic, um, 
and, and there seems to be outrage about, you know, what's going on. And, you know, the first thing I always, you know, want to tell people is I, I, I'm not against reform. I'm not against change, but it's got to be thoughtful change. Sure. And I, I, you know, I always like to put that out front. Like I, I'm not just stuck in my ways, you know, that we do need change, but it's got to be thoughtful change. So I, I think Caitlin's law is one of those things that's a little bit more thoughtful that, you know, like you said, when you opened up, you know, the, the, the small amount of, you know, marijuana, for example, look, I am not opposed to, you know, a PR bond in most circumstances on that, you know, a, a, a misdemeanor petty theft type offense. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, opposed to that. Um, but when we start talking about violent crimes, that's where we, you know, that's where I think we need to draw the line and really start, you know, taking a closer look at this because um, just turning people out, you know, it, it's yeah. not the answer. Yeah, qu- uh, clearly not. Now, for folks who are listening to us, and we have so many that are not law enforcement, um, help us out here. What are the, you know, what are the parameters around the choice? whether or not it's a PR bond or you're staying the night in jail or, or it's a $500,000 bond. Do you know in the state of Texas, what, what parameters does a judge take into effect to decide that? Or is it up to the judge's discretion? You know, to a large extent, it is up to the, to the judge's discretion. Now there, there's case law that, you know, the, the, the danger they present to the community, Mm -hmm. um, you know, past, uh, uh, past behavior, you know, flight risk, all of those are, you know, things that the judge can take into account. But, you know, to a large extent, there's a lot of discretion that's there. And um, we actually, there was a federal lawsuit that was filed here. Um, and it really started on the misdemeanor side of things. And, and I, you know, I, I am sympathetic to, you know, the cause on some of those because you had people languishing in jail for months and months and months on, you know, driving with a suspended license, things like right. that. And look, they, they, they should not be sitting in jail for six or seven months. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you that. And so, um, you know, out of that, there was a federal lawsuit, which then um, came to an agreement on a settlement. Um, and, you know, the, the settlement part of it was is essentially, and, and I'm being pretty broad here, is, you know, most misdemeanor offenses – you are presumed to be eligible for a PR bond. There are very few that, you know, are carved out um, that are not. And those circumstances are, you know, if you're already out on a PR bond, if you're on probation, um, assault family member, uh, second driving while intoxicated, all those are not eligible. But then the last caveat says, or up to discretion of the judge. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing that. And, you know, I'll tell you, when I started really digging into this, the thing that, that I think that worries me. I think that people are maybe missing, you know, not completely understanding is, um, and, and this is the county's data. This is not, you know, Chief Josh Berger's data is um, when we had a, a cash bail system and there w- weren't PR bonds, at least not to the extent that they are now, um, there was only 8% of the people that were not showing back up for their court dates. Hmm. Once they started issuing PR bonds, 40% of the people that are getting PR bonds are not showing back up in court. Well, sure. They have no skin in the game, right? It's exactly right. You know, right. and that's the one, one thing I try to tell folks is, you know, to me, it's not as much about, you know, the amount of bail that people have to put up because look, it, you know, if I'm a professional athlete and I make millions of dollars, you know, and I get a $10,000, you know, bail that that's, you know, a drop in the bucket where, right. you know, if I'm making minimum wage and I get a $10,000, it's, you know, clearly, you know, different. And so, I do think, you know, being more specific to this 
you know, specific individual instead of trying to just, you know, one size fits all, because look, even if, you know, the veil is $500 on a, you know, some type of misdemeanor offense. Um, I think what people don't realize is that you, you said it's skin in the game. And if, you know, I get arrested for, uh, let's just say a misdemeanor amount of marijuana, it's a $500 bond. Um, you know, and my parents, I'm, you know, 18 years old, my parents go, you know, put up the hundred dollars to get me out of jail. Um, the, the, the thing is now my parents have skin in the game. So mm-hmm. there's an extra set of eyes that are going to help make sure that I get back to court. Whereas if I'm just signing my name and walking out the door, there is no skin in the game. And so I think, right. you know, people are overlooking that, you know, what we're losing with a PR bond on that side of it. Yeah. And, and just to back up a little bit for our listeners, just, just, so you understand, I hear this confused a lot of times with civilians is, you know, uh, bond is not pay this and the case is over. Uh, what this is, is basically here's what you pay or sign or in, in our state, we actually have property bonds. Don't know if they do that in Texas. You can put a property to get people out is basically it's a promise that you will come back to court. It, it is something that says 10,000 bucks, you get out, but you'll come back to get that $10,000 back. Uh, you know, you, you see, uh, I always know when I travel around when I'm near a jail, <laughs> because uh, you're you've, you're surrounded by bondsmen, right? Uh, there's just posters everywhere, billboards everywhere, and I know really quick I'm near a jail somewhere, and, and they make their money by putting that up and, and charging a little extra, and then they get paid when you come back. But you know, you see these TV shows with these uh, the, the these guys that are hired to go get you know bail jumpers, right? And what they're doing is they got to come back because that bondsman put up that money. And if they don't come back, then that bondsman is, is, is out some cash, right? And so that's why it's extremely important in most cases to have that skin in the game. And a lot of people don't, don't understand that. So I wanted to make sure that we did. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions here. You know, we talked earlier, uh, we, we've got listeners uh, all over uh, the world and some either don't understand because they've not been in the world. That's fine. Uh, and, and some, frankly, might not believe or, 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 or think the way you and I think when it comes to law enforcement. And that's great. I love them being here so we can have this dialogue. So let me ask a couple of questions. They may be thinking right now. Uh, one of those is, Chief, what do you say to the fact that all the stats say that the United States houses more criminals you know, per capita than, than any other country, minus maybe some South American countries you won't talk about, <laughs> but, but for, for any... Uh, you know, a non-third world country in the world and the jails are full. So what if they can't pay? We put them in jail, but now the jails are overcrowded and that just adds to the situation. And why not a PR bond, which by the way, folks is also called a signature bond, which is just basically you sign a piece of paper says, I promise I'll come back. Um, What do you say to that when they say it's full? It's full. Everybody, you know, no problem with these PR bonds. And Hey, you know, it's not the judge's fault. He didn't know. What do you say to that? So, so I think the biggest thing is, you know, really focusing on violent crime because that that's, that's the danger when we have, you know, people out on, you know, multiple PR bonds or even very low bonds um, on the violent offense. And I'll tell you here in Harris County, um, you know, one of the largest counties in the country um, last year, we have 51 homicides um, committed by po- folks that are either out on, multiple bonds uh, for felony offenses already or PR bonds. And so 
That's 51 homicides that are ring committed. And so I, you know, I, I understand that the jails are full. I mean, here in Harris County, it is no different. Um, and I think this is where we have to be smarter and, you know, making sure we are jailing the right people. And again, it's not one size fits all. And, you know, it does is going to take a little bit longer. And, you know, that was one of the problems here, at least in Harris County, is it was a one size fits all that, you know, first offense, they had a scale that they were using or a schedule and, you know, okay, homicide, no previous, you know, uh, you know, convictions, it was a certain amount if you had. And so it really was a schedule. And so I think it does need to be, you know, more individualized and more tailored to, um, you know, to the individual, because like I said, you know, we're all in different circumstances. You and I can make a different, you know, bond probably than, you know, a homeless person that, you know, doesn't have the, the resources, but, um, you know, just turning, you know, violent folks back out there is, is not the answer. And, you know, the one thing that the argument I get lots of times is, you know, when you're arrested, you're innocent until proven guilty. And I 110% agree with that, but, um, you know, we still have to do, there still has to be an assessment of the, the risk that, potential risks that you pose to the to the community and there there is no perfect system but um we do have to protect you know I, it seems to me the victims to a large extent have been forgotten about in some of this bail reform yeah no i agree and uh you know the next question i was going to ask you was you know you know what about innocent until proven guilty but you you, you covered that you know, very well. Um, you know, I, I, I work in Harris County quite often. And, and so I know exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with an agency not long ago. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, pushback on police. You know, it's our fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. And, and what I said was, you know, if you look at the stats, most of police activity nowadays, especially with, you know, uh, 911 being so easy, text to 911, all of this is in response, not in proactivity. Although we'd like to be more proactive, uh, the great part of it is in response. And so what I've said is, you know, there seems to be this thought in, in the public's mind that everybody who's arrested, everybody who is chased or, or, or something like that, it, it's because uh, the, the officer has decided upon themselves, you know. And I said, you know, police officers aren't um, aren't, aren't, aren't the executive branch <laughs> nor the judicial branch or the enforcement branch of the laws that are, that are out there. And, and if, if we get called somewhere and, uh, there's obviously been a fight and, uh, you know, somebody's laying on the ground and the other guy is standing there, or maybe he ran, uh, we are enforcing the apparent break of the law. And at the end of the day, we, nobody forced that person to create that crime that they, they chose their path and therefore they must follow the, the the judicial path once we once we take them there and that, and that takes me to another question you know and and i don't think we covered this in other conversation but i see this a lot where even things that happen anywhere in the judicial process are are typically blamed on the police you know, and, and I don't know if you got any pushback from, from this guy getting out and killing somebody, you know, how could the police let this happen? Uh, and you can cover that here in a minute, but if you did, or if you didn't talk more about the fact that once we are, we've completed our piece, right. And handed that over to the courts, it, that's the court's decision to do. 
Now, when that person gets back out, obviously we are policing that person as we are the rest of them, but, but we can only go so far before it is in the court's hands and that decision is theirs. Talk, talk more about that. So, you know, I think the police, for whatever reason, have become the whipping post, I guess, to a large extent. And, I, you know, it's gotten worse. And some of that's, you know, but quite frankly, we haven't helped ourselves to a large extent in that. But, um, you, you know, that that's where, you know, education. And I think that's the frustrating part is, uh, you know, I'll tell you, even on the bail decision or, you know, bonds and bails is um, I, I have police chiefs, um, you know, in surrounding agencies that don't understand it. I, you know, a lot of my cops don't understand it. They, you know, they, they, they want to point the finger at the district attorney's office. And I, and I tell them, you know, okay, you can be mad at them for a lot of things, but this isn't one of them. I mean, this is a, a decision that the judi- judiciary is making. And I'll tell you, at least here in Texas, you know, our, our criminal court judges are elected. Um, they're partisan elections. Um, right. and, and so, so it, it's, yeah. it's difficult at times, you know, to educate yourself on, you know, where judges, you know, what their position is on something. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of this just happens without, you know, you realizing it's happening. And, I, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, this bail reform here, this push in Harris County, um, initially, um, until it impacted me, I was oblivious to it. I was like, oh, that's a bail thing. That's, you know, that's not a police not thing. Yeah. 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 And like you said, you know, we take it up to a certain point and then it's, I say, not my problem anymore. That's, you know, but it's somebody else's, you know, to handle. Um, well, that's true until it starts to impact public right. safety. And, and now you're starting to see, you know, I, and I'm not going to lay it solely at the feet of, of bail reform, but I do think it is a factor. Um, you know, crime is, you know, uh, I'll tell you, the city of Houston had 400 homicides last year. They're up almost 30 percent, um, you know, and Chief Acevedo there will tell you that, you know, he his belief as well is that, you know, some of this, you know, bail reform um, it is, you know, probably a contributing factor to some of it. Um, and, and so, you know, I've been told by judges, you know, stay in my lane that, you know, bond and bail is not a, uh, not a police function. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you until, you know, the decisions that they're making, uh, directly impact public safety in this community. And then it is my concern. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. I, I, I equate it a lot to the ripples in the pond. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't throw the rock. Right. But as the ripples move out, uh, they they move, they they extend out and eventually uh, will come back around many times to us. I mean, uh, I don't know how it works in Texas, but here in Georgia, if you as a detective, as I was, put somebody in prison uh, as they were about to get released, you would get notified. Mm -hmm. And, And the reason being is because. Unfortunately, sometimes historically, those people would be out, they would be mad, and they would try to come find you. Right. Uh, and that happened to the point where we would be, you know, notified. Um, and, you know, you think about that and you go, well, why would I need to be? I mean, surely the justice system has reformed these individuals to the point where they're going to come find me and shake my hand. You know, and 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 I'll be honest with you, Chief, I've had two or three do that. Yeah. Which, which kind of freaked you out for a minute because you're thinking, yeah. oh, oh, here we go, you know, and, but then that's great. But at the same time, you know, it is a ripple effect. Anybody that is put in jail, most people that are put in jail, you know, some, some do not come out, but, but for the vast majority, most that do will return to society. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's funny because I was just having a conversation with, uh, I got a call from uh, New York uh, parole 
because a, a person that I put in prison uh, uh, for a very, very, very bad crime uh, had gotten out and was going, wanting to move to New York. And I got this call here in my home on my cell phone because they called the police department first and said, they said, let us know more about him because we have a thing in New York where if, if a convicted felon of that kind of uh, uh, severity wants to move to New York, we do a full background investigation on the case and speak to all the prosecuting officials that we can to decide whether or not we're going to let him in. Right. Now, two things. The first thing I thought was New York does that. <laughs> I'm a little and, surprised and, too. <laughs> right. And then the second thing I thought was, that, that's a good idea. Yeah. Right. And, and they weren't unduly, you know, persecuting this individual. All they were doing was making sure that the people that they allow to move into New York with serious felony convictions, okay, are not a threat anymore, or at least a minimal threat anymore to the the, the public of, of, of New York. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after you and I spoke the other day, it wasn't but 24 hours I was on another plane. And I was thinking about that correlation a lot, you know, where if, if, if New York City does that kind of due diligence just to make sure that, that you know, that the citizenry we, we, you know, safe as they can from people moving in. But if we, after, right, if we flip it, you know, we've got violent criminals, and, and, and folks, many times these folks have a history of violence, if not, if not a conviction of violence before. Uh, you know, where is the due diligence on the, on the front end? And, you know, Chief, I, I think I told you this story when we talked before. Uh, I worked a homicide once. A guy shot a woman for literally telling him his gun wasn't going to work. He, she laughed at him for having a gun. He, he shot her dead. And we went out there. He, he was living in, in federal housing. I mean, project housing. So he, he was living, uh, on, on, on the federal, you know, um, grant for that. Um, but he was actually out <laughs> on parole for a previous murder. And I thought, what? Two things. One, we didn't know that as a police. We didn't know this guy was living here. Number two, guess what? Federal housing hadn't checked that they had a convicted murderer living in federal housing, which by the way, you can't do folks. I mean, if, if, if you're living and, and you know, it's so funny because people go, Oh, well, uh, you know, that must be crazy over there. No, actually it's not because most people realize that if you, if you mess up in that kind of housing that you're out, <laughs> right? So it's usually the greatest community, you know, I mean, it, it's good, but here's this guy didn't even know comes up and shoots a lady for brought him lunch, brought him lunch, laughed at his gun, kills her. And we were shocked, just as you were, when we just went, what? How does that happen? You know, bail, bond, probation, parole, the reforms in these, you know. Uh, I don't think you and I have an answer to either one of these, a, a true, good, solid answer for everybody. But I think what we're trying to do is, is raise the flag and awareness for people who don't know. I mean, certainly if... Uh, law enforcement officials don't completely understand it. We can't assume the citizenry does, right? But if they do, then then we can raise that flag and say, look, something needs to be different here. So, so I'll go for that to ask you this. 
whether whether it's Caitlin's law, whether it's their own state, because obviously that's Caitlin's law, you know, in Texas, and but but it's their own state, it's their own country, perhaps, because we have listeners literally all over the world. Like I said, what can people do, Chief, to to one be more aware of what's going on, aware of the laws, and two, if if they don't agree, if if it's obviously broken, what can they do peacefully, obviously, to help this change? It's a good question, and it's a should be an easy answer, but it's not um, mm-hmm. because the biggest thing you know is educating yourself and finding you know resources that are objective, that are uh, you know more scholarly, and not you know a slant this way or that way. And you know, unfortunately, um, you know, I I always tell people I try to leave politics out of this because this is not a left issue, a right issue. No. You know, an R or D. This is a you know, a public safety issue. And again, it doesn't matter where you live and, you know, in this country or any country, um, you want to be safe um, in the community that you live in. And so, you know, first is, you know, educate yourself um, on, you know, what's going on and getting all the facts. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, uh, you know, I don't like to reinvent the wheel. I just told, uh, you know, a head of another agency that's new in his position this morning. And I said, you know, I don't like to reinvent ideas. I'll just borrow other people's. And, you know, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, I say that because, you know, especially with this, you know, let's look at other places, you know, New Mexico's implemented this, uh, Alaska, New Jersey, New York. And so that's just one of those things that, you know, look at the successes. I'm not going to say this is a complete failure because I do think there are, there are some, you know, some successes and some good things that have come out of it. Um, but, you know, look at other places and see what's happening. And then the other is, you know, get involved. And um, when I say get involved, you know, a lot of this is, um, you know, change through elections. You know, your your, your vote does matter. And, um, you know, making sure that you're educated and understand the issues. And I'll, I'll tell you this real quick. And it just goes to show that I, I don't like to say ignorance because I, I I'll just say oblivious. How about that is, you know, shortly after all this happened, I was um, at a homeowners meeting and. Um, you know, we're a pretty tight knit community. And um, so some of the, the citizens had seen, you know, on the news or on social media, you know, my anger and all of this. And they, they were like, Chief, what do we do to change this? You know, how, how do, what do we do about these judges? And we had just had elections two months before all this happened. And, and so, you know, I was trying to politely say, you know, you guys just, you know, we just elected these judges. And so, you know, understand how the process works, because mm-hmm. that's a lot of it is people not understanding. And so, you know, going to, to podcasts, you know, don't, I always tell people, don't just listen to me. Go listen to other people and form your own opinion. Because, That's right. Um, you know, there's a lot of information out there and it's, it's almost overwhelming sometimes um, the amount of information that can be at your fingertips. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll say one more quick story and, and then we're going to go into um, some, some, some crazy stories from law uh, from criminals. And I want you to stick around for that. But okay. the other one was, um, yeah, and I, I meant to tell you this the other day, and so uh, listeners just understand that Chief and I are having a conversation here for a moment. But you know, I, I worked a case on, unfortunately, a, a, a child sexual abuse case. Horrible cases. Uh, I was doing that for a while. Um, we we got this guy, right? Well, I mean, we got this guy. Um, sent sent the victim to um, our state. They they did the you know the forensic examination. Not physical, but there's a a forensic examination where they ask questions and they watch mannerisms. Had the testimony from the state, absolutely 100%. Okay, Guy had a history of this, convicted history of this. 
brand new judge, literally first day on the bench. Okay. We present it. He looks over at the DA who, by the way, is now a judge herself. <laughs> and he says, where's your witnesses? And I was on the stand and I looked over at her and I thought she's going to come across the desk. <laughs> and, and she goes, what do you mean judge? He goes, where are your witnesses? Judge witness to a child molestation. Yeah. Where are they? Well, judge, there's, I don't know if I've ever heard of a, <laughs> of, of a witness to a multiple repeat. What are you talking about? Well, if you don't have any witnesses, I don't see how you have a case dismissed. And she said, judge, hold on. I'll, 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 I'll go with that if, and it's funny cause the lead DA was behind her cause she was kind of new in her position too. <laughs> and I thought she was about to grab her, but she goes, <laughs> she goes, she goes, judge, I, I'll, I'll do this. If this man is ever arrested for this again, we can bring this one up. And he kind of looked at her and it, it was like a glimmer of almost partial realization in his mind. And he said, okay, get this five years later, I get a call from her because we have a, we have a judicial district here, multiple mm -hmm. counties. And she says he was arrested in the neighboring County for the same thing. And I said, what do you need me to do? <laughs> and uh, she says, show up in court. That's all I need. I said, okay. He had an attorney. They were going to get off on this one the same way. Right. Cause Hey, no witnesses. No, right. She didn't tell him I was coming. I wasn't listed. It was a preliminary. And I was just, so I showed up full detective looking suit, whole nine yards. I walk in, the guy turns his head, looks at me, looks like terrified, <laughs> looks over at his attorney, whispers something. The attorney stood up and said, judge, we'd like to change this to a plea hearing. <laughs> and he's now in prison. Yeah. The thing though is I was haunted and still am today because that day, that little girl had to go home with him because he was mama's boyfriend. Yeah. Um, it's you know? terrible. Yeah. And, and, and whether, whether it be, whether it be Caitlin, whether it be this little girl, whether it be any other victims, education, educate mm -hmm. yourselves, make sure your DAs, your cops, your judges are educated on the law, procedure, criminal investigation, even, right? That really comes back to it. And, and, and you know, Chief, that's kind of why I started this podcast. I just wanted to make, make sure that people understood the entire story. I'm a big Paul Harvey fan. <laughs> the rest of the, <laughs> the story. The rest <laughs> of the story, right? Yeah. Uh, but Chief, look, I, uh, I, I think we hit it off when we talked <laughs> the other week. I, I told my wife, I said, this is, this is my kind of guy. You know, and, and I really, really appreciate you being on and taking the time. And for those of you, you can't see, this is obviously a podcast, but uh, we're, we're doing this over a hangout and I can actually see the chief sitting at his desk. He's taking time out of his day for this. Um, I do truly appreciate this. And would you do me a favor? Please keep me abreast of Caitlin's law and how that's moving. Absolutely. Um, because I would like to keep my listeners updated. And frankly, if this passes, We'll just say when this passes, let's call it that yeah. when this passes, I'd like to have you back on and, and maybe we can talk about what you thought helped it get through for others who might be in your position listening to me right now. 
or might be a DA listening to me right now. I mean, one of my, one of my friends is a, a state superior court judge and, and she's listening, probably listening right now. Right. And, and maybe she's struggling over this. Maybe they're looking, don't reinvent the wheel. Like you say, learn from others. So keep us informed on this, please stick around. Want to see what you think about these crazy, but true police blotter stories. All right. We're going to start in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Why? Because I like the show, the office. That's a inside joke for those of you who've seen the office. If you haven't get on it, Justin Thompson, 29 year old man on the run from law in Scranton, Pennsylvania, warrant for his arrest for aggravated assault and harassment charges stemming from an incident uh, last September. Officers showed up to search his girlfriend's house. He's not there. He's not there, officers. No, no, he's not. I haven't seen him, officers. Officers started to hear something. Come to find out Thompson hid in an attic crawl space, but he didn't do the math on whether it would support his weight. So about the time the officers got to the kitchen, he fell through the ceiling of the kitchen onto the floor. Officers arrested him quite quickly. Now, here, here's the worst for the man. Uh, they took out charges of endangering children because the table he landed on, there were children sitting there eating their breakfast. <laughs> so why not just a few extra, right? Ridgecrest, California. A man attempted to rob a home by sneaking through the chimney. Yeah, you, you see where this is going. The move is called a reverse Santa. Uh, Keith Schultz climbed into the chimney, but that's as far as he got because he misjudged its width. See, we got two guys here who are not good. <laughs> with, with math, right? Uh, desperate for help, his female partner in crime allegedly tried to break into the house to help him, which police believe triggered the home's burglar alarm. Uh, well, and she then called the police for help. Oh, this is nice, right? I mean, okay, they're going to catch him. No. You see, she called 911, and then she hightailed it. Just left him in the chimney. <laughs> Meanwhile, firefighters got Schultz free from the chimney. He was taken into custody where he, you got it, chief, posed for a mugshot covered in soot. <laughs> Police in wow. Delaware say the owner of a pizza shop. I love this one. Owner of a pizza shop foiled a robbery by throwing pizzas at the intruder. Uh-huh. Reports from the Delaware News Journal, the incident happened in Greenwood late Friday when a man with a machete entered this. Now, think about this for a minute. He's got a machete, okay? And you're throwing pizzas at him. He entered the Stargate Pizza at closing and demanded money. This is from the state police release. Quote, the owner advised the suspect that he did not have any money and quickly threw a hot, freshly cooked pizza in his face causing your suspect to flee. However, Chief, what hot pizza right out of the oven in your face. What do you think's on this guy's face now? Uh, he's probably got some burn marks. Oh, boy, and cheese everywhere. And it, well, guess what? He missed the door. <laughs> Ran into the door frame, knocked him out, where police were able to arrest him. And the last one today, we're going to go to New South Wales. Police say they heard a loud bang outside their station in Eastwood. They headed out to take a look, and they discovered two of their park squad cars had been hit by a hit uh, by a hit and run driver, significantly damaging one of the vehicles. But he was gone. An hour later, though, they pulled over what appeared to be the van, because of course they checked the surveillance tapes, and inside the van, 
listen, Chief, hold on for a second. Let's pause this one for a minute. I used to have a captain that said, especially with narcotics, especially with narcotics, he says, you know, it's always the dumb ones. It's always the dumb ones, okay? So they pull over this van. <clears throat> I've kind of played the hand here. Inside the van, I, I'm glad you're sitting down, Chief. 600 pounds of methamphetamine. <laughs> See, now, now, folks, just so you know, Chief, what's the biggest meth bust you've, you've had in Pasadena, Texas, poundage or ounce-wise? It's not 600 pounds. 600 pounds is a lot of meth. It's, it's probably the most it, I've ever heard. <laughs> it's a stupid amount of meth, right? Yes. The whole van must have been full. So 600 pounds of meth with a street value at the time of about $140 million. I love this quote. Now, this is New South Wales, so it's very proper. Right. I'm not going to try the accent. The police said the man has certainly had a very, very bad day. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up. Crash, quote, crashing into a police vehicle with that amount of drugs on board is somewhat unheard of. Somewhat? Somewhat. Okay. It's an exceptional set of circumstances. I love it. So let, let, I'll, I'll get to the last sentence in a minute, but let's think about this for a minute. By the way, he was drunk. So you go to pick up a van because we know this is not this is not the dealer this is not the supplier this is a this is some plebe that's expendable. You go to pick up the van with six hundred pounds of methamphetamine, one hundred and forty million dollars worth. Do you think he got drunk before or after? <laughs> and if it was before, who gave him the keys? I mean. You know, you like the crime. I, I'm not a big one on crime shows, but you know, some of these you, you you get a kick out of. Can you imagine the conversation of the main bad guys after? What happened to the meth? He well, was drunk. okay, yeah. <laughs> you know our driver. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's got a he's got an issue with alcohol, uh, and he hit a couple of police cars. Did he get away? Wait, then. I mean, really? God bless him. That some anyway, of them make it's it so easy. Sign two. <laughs> I'm telling you, right? Fish in a barrel. He's said to be in his mid-20s. He was arrested and charged with trafficking, narcotics, negligent driving. I love that. And, and, you ready? Improper turn signal. <laughs> That's the least of his problems. <laughs> That's the problem. Chief, again, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to close it out here in just a minute. But before I do... This is this was very interesting. This week we got an email. My producer got an email, sent it to me. I was, I was uh, in in Louisiana. Just got back last night, and apparently, believe it or not, we are the top forty podcast in Australia. Right? I don't know anybody in Australia, but for those who are obviously listening, and a lot in Australia, thank you. Tell others. <laughs> Listen, folks, as we go along this journey together, I may say some things you don't agree with, or maybe you do, uh, or you have a topic, or frankly, you have an idea for somebody I could potentially interview. Let me know. You know, maybe you have a funny police story you'd like to share it with me. Email me at offthebeat at MotorolaSolutions.com to give me your thoughts and ideas. Always check out my Twitter page at DJ underscore offthebeat. Until next time. Stay diligent, stay educated, and stay safe.